0: Well, recently, Beth and I stopped by a grocery store to pick up a few items, and in order to save time, we decided to use the self-checkout option. Now, I normally go to a cashier. It's kind of a way to support jobs, but I was in a hurry that day, and when I tried to scan the first item, the machine sounded an alarm, and the screen showed an error, And so I waited patiently for the worker to come over, and, well, I assumed it'd be an easy, simple fix. She typed a few things into the keypad, and I tried again. We only had five items. I scanned all five items, but the screen showed that none of them went through. Another error message flashed at us. Now I'm starting to get exasperated. The worker came over and she explained that we weren't putting things in the bag correctly. So the machine thought we were shoplifting. So she tried, she asked us to try again, and this time she watched very carefully. Now, she was very kind, but I could tell she assumed something. Here's the assumption. This is an old guy and he doesn't understand technology. (laughs) She started explaining, like, the labels on the products, and you have to put them here, and it reads them. And finally, I just said, could you scan everything for me? (laughs) Now, what was supposed to be simple had somehow become extremely complicated. And because we didn't understand the process, we, okay, me, I became very frustrated. I just wanted to leave our five items behind. Now in our text today, we're going to see how some Jewish background believers were making salvation extremely complicated, leaving many Gentile background believers exasperated, confused. The leaders in the early church sounded in alarm. And they clarified and carefully explained the good news of the gospel in a way that was easy to understand and embrace. It was about five years ago, I preached a sermon called Engage with the Reformation. And we studied five simple sayings which became the battle cry for the gospel. By grace alone, not grace plus merit through faith alone not faith plus works in Christ alone not Christ plus me according to scripture alone not scripture plus tradition and for God's glory alone not God's glory plus mine we could summarize where we're headed today this way Jesus Plus, nothing equals everything. Well, last weekend, we summarized Acts chapter 14 this way. Live on mission even when ministry is messy. After evangelizing, discipling, and enfolding believers into reproducing churches, Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch to celebrate what God had done over the past year. You can hear their unbridled enthusiasm so up on the map this is a map we put up last week and I drew a red circle around the city of Antioch that's where they were sent out as missionaries first missionary journey they end up back there and notice Acts chapter 14 verse 27 and when they arrived and gathered the church together they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles Antioch sends out sends missionaries out. About a year later, they come back and they give a report. At the end of the service, we're going to follow that same practice as we hear a report from Phil and Patty Eager, our go team partners in Mexico. Look now at Acts chapter 15, verse one. Begins with a group of people trying to add something to salvation, but some men came down from Judea and they were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So just when things are going great, the gospel is expanding. The early church was faced with a doctrinal dilemma. In essence, these false teachers were insisting Gentiles must first become Jews and obey Jewish ceremonial laws in order to be saved. In order to help us understand Acts chapter 15, we'll follow a simple outline. We'll begin by looking at the dissension, and then we'll transition to the discussion and debate that takes place, and then finally the decision. Let's look first at the dissension. Paul and Barnabas realized that this was a serious threat to the gospel. So would you observe verse 2, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. The word dissension means to stand against. They disputed the doctrine of works and they debated with those who propagated it. Because it was such a big issue, they were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders with this question. By the way, even though Jerusalem is south of Antioch, we read that they go up Simple explanation, Jerusalem has a very high elevation. Whenever you go to Jerusalem, no matter from whatever direction, you're going up, and when you leave, you're going down. Jerusalem was where the church was launched, so it makes sense to gather all the leaders together to decide what to do. Verse 3 makes me smile because it shows even though they're focused on defending their faith, the faith, they take time to celebrate salvation. Notice verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria. Let me just point out, Phoenicia there, pagan area, and Samaria down below. They're coming down from Antioch, headed to Jerusalem. And they described in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers. We're reminded of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We read there, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So that's the area down at the bottom, perhaps hard to see. I have a black circle around it, Jerusalem. And in Judea, that's the area surrounding. Samaria would be where the Samaritans are from. That would be the enemies. Take the gospel there, and then finally to the ends of Jerusalem. The earth. When it says they were describing in detail, it means they were fully telling forth. And this led to great joy. The word for great is the Greek word megas. We use the word mega to describe something as over the top, as huge. So they had like this over the top. Joy, as they're describing how people are turning to Christ. When they arrived in Jerusalem, verse 4 tells us they were welcomed by the church and by the apostles and the elders. They declared all that God had done with them. They're given a warm welcome and an exuberant embrace. Would you note that here again, God has all the glory and God alone for his work of grace. Soli Deo Gloria. Now, the dissension is described in verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and they said, This is what they claim it is necessary to circumcise them, referring to the Gentiles, and to order them to keep the law. Of Moses. The word necessary means it must absolutely be done. They were teaching a Jesus plus something else gospel. Now, to clarify, these individuals were born again believers who were members of the Pharisees. And instead of giving God the glory for the gospel of grace, they were insisting that Christians needed to be circumcised and follow the Old Testament laws. The words they use are strong. They commanded Christians to obey the law of Moses. In other words, while they believed in Jesus, they were convinced it was necessary for Gentiles to first become Jews. They added a layer of works to the work of salvation. How many of you have two doors coming into the front of your house? Okay, some, some of us do. I had to check. So we, we have like a storm door and then there's a wooden door to get into our house. So these Judaizers believed that you needed to have two doors to salvation. They taught people first needed to come through the door of Judaism to become a Jew and then to go through the inner door of Jesus. Now, this is an extremely important issue. Because if you don't get the gospel right, it will affect whether your sins are forgiven. If you don't get the gospel right, it will affect whether you go to heaven or you spend eternity in hell when you die. The wrong gospel will kill the church. Zane Pratt tells the story of how Christianity died in Asia around the year 1400. So spiritually speaking, he attributed that to the loss of the gospel. He gives just one example. This happened all the time. A chieftain wrote a letter to a bishop asking how to become a Christian. The bishop's response was nothing about the gospel. But instead, he told them to follow a number of rituals and some ascetic practices, things that he needed to stop doing. As a result, Christianity dried up in Asia. In Erwin Lutzer's book called The Church in Babylon, heeding the call to be a light in the darkness. How many of you listened to Erwin Lutzer on Moody Radio? Yeah, phenomenal. I had the privilege of having him for seminary. One class he taught apologetics. In this book, he lists some false gospels in the American Evangelical Church. I'm going to list four of his, and I'm going to add six others I thought of. The first one he calls the gospel of permissive grace. Get saved and then live however you want. The second one, the gospel of social action. The third, the gospel of new age spirituality. Look at number four. He says, the gospel of my sexual or gender preference. Number five, the gospel of self-help. Next, the gospel of easy believism. Next, the gospel of prosperity. If you want to do a deep dive on the error of that, check out the documentary called American Gospel. The gospel of progressivism also wrote down the gospel of politics and then finally the gospel of therapeutic moralistic deism that jesus will help you feel better if you do some of these nice things and oh by the way god's just sort of out there but not involved a lot of americans think that it's like the gospel of works On Sunday mornings, when the weather cooperates and I don't have an injury, I like to get up early and go for a prayer run. We live in Moline, so I run down uh, 60th Street, Kennedy uh, Drive in Moline. There's six places of worship there, and then I end uh, in front of another place of worship, and I pray. I pray for the ones who will be leading the services. I pray for the gospel to be preached. I pray for people to get saved. It hit me this morning because of this message that five of the seven places of worship teach salvation by works now friends you and i must hold to this truth jesus plus nothing equals everything number two discussion And so they gathered to consider the matter, and the leaders of the church gave three different speeches. Peter gets up, he speaks first, followed by Paul and Barnabas, and then James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the book of James, wraps it all up with a compelling conclusion. Peter had a spiritual mic drop moment. Look at verses 7 through 11. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us, and He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the necks of the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Here it is, verse eleven. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Here are the main points of Peter's defense of the gospel of grace. Number one, he was chosen to take the gospel of grace to Gentiles. He's referencing what happened 10 years earlier, that's spelled out in Acts chapter 10, after receiving a vision showing God had declared all foods clean in contrast to the Old Testament laws, Peter, a man with a very strong Jewish pedigree, got up to preach and Cornelius, a Roman soldier, and his family were saved even before he finished his sermon. Secondly, Gentiles were given the Holy Spirit when they were converted. We read in Acts 10, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. Number three, there is no distinction in Christ between Jewish background believers and Gentile background believers. Everyone who comes to Christ has their hearts cleansed by grace alone through faith Alone in Christ alone. Listen to Romans 3.30, Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Next he says requiring obedience to the Old Testament law was actually an unbearable burden. The rabbis often used the metaphor of a yoke with reference to the Mosaic law. Jesus said something similar about the Pharisees' teachings. He said, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. So a yoke went over the shoulders, usually of two oxen, as they pulled the plow. Here Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you are loading people down with this heavy burden and people are just shuffling along and they have no joy and they're under this heavy burden because they were adding things even to the law. And then Jesus says, but they themselves are not willing to move those burdens with their finger. Peter points out that Pharisees weren't keeping the law, that they were requiring others to keep. That's further developed. If you want to do a deep dive, go to Romans chapter 2, verse 23. You who boast in the law, well, you dishonor God by breaking the law. And finally, salvation is by grace Alone. Verse 11, crystal clear, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Now, there's a twist here that many of us looked right past. I did. Jews were used to thinking that people had to be saved like they were. But would you observe what Peter says? Peter said, Jews had to be saved the way Gentiles were saved. By faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. I love the response to Peter's preaching. We see it in the first part of verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. The Greek word for that, silent, is muzzled, mute, they had nothing to say. And here's what I wrote down when I contemplated that. They couldn't argue with the evidence. When you truly grasp God's grace, it will make you speechless. You realize you don't have to work for it and it's a gift. It will make you speechless. We don't pause very often and just be quiet and let's Do that now. Ponder God's grace and just be quiet. Well, Barnabas and Paul speak next. Uh, Their message is rather short. They speak and they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Well, this is significant because Jewish people were used to God doing signs and miracles so that when these miracles took place among the Gentiles, it got their attention. This was a powerful witness of his work. 1 Corinthians 122 says for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Note again that they declare that this is what God had done. Well, after they finish speaking, James now aligns himself with Peter, with Paul, and with Barnabas. He makes two very powerful points. Point number one is the experience of Simon Peter. Look at verse 13. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. He establishes relationship. He calls them brothers, and then he invites them to listen to him. Interestingly, the name Simeon is the Hebrew name for Simon. Now, why did he use the name Simeon? Simeon was one of the sons of Jacob, a tribe. Peter was a Hebrew of Hebrews. They couldn't discount him. Would you also note how God was making the Gentiles a people for his name? Now that title was given to Jewish people throughout the Old Testament that they were a people for his name. And now James is saying that God is saying that about the Gentiles, that they are a people for his name. The second point he makes is the exposition of Scripture. Get this. You might even want to write it down. Experience is powerful, but we must always find our foundation in the exposition of Scripture. Verse 15, James said, and with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. He says, prophets, Plural. It's as if James could have pulled out a number of passages and preached them to show that God's heart is for Gentiles and Jews and that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Now, James showed his belief in sola scriptura. He quotes from the last chapter of the book of Amos, one of the minor prophets. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'll rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. God's saying to Jewish people, I still have plans for you. I'm still at work, and I'll continue to be at work. Notice the next phrase. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. James concludes his sermon, verses 19 to 21. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. But we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. The word trouble means to annoy, to vex, or to disturb. I like how another translation puts it, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Because the gospel is the gospel of grace, these Gentiles were not to be burdened with additional performance expectations. Now, perhaps as you read that, you're like, man, those are puzzling prohibitions. Let me offer a few ways to understand that. First of all, uh, these practices were a common part of heathen rituals, So perhaps these believers had participated in them, and so it made sense for them to abstain from them. Well, in addition, since these were stumbling blocks for those raised on a kosher diet, it was a way for Gentile background believers to love Jewish background believers. In other words, it was a missiological consideration. Warren Wearsby is helpful. He says the legalistic Jews willingly gave up insisting that the Gentiles had to be circumcised to be saved and the Gentiles willingly accepted a change in their eating habits. It was a loving compromise. This kept the church from splitting into extreme law and extreme grace groups. So what's James doing? I think he's proposing a discipleship Response. First, it's calling these believers to personal holiness. He's saying you need to avoid idolatry and immorality, both addressed in the Ten Commandments. He also established the importance of harmony by urging them to limit their liberties for the sake of love. One pastor said it like this, the early church leaders were concerned about doctrinal integrity and relational integrity. Health. By the way, these concessions appear to be contextually sensitive because in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 11, the believers are allowed to eat food sacrificed to idols. Here's the main point. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Chapter begins with dissension, and then there's detailed discussion and debate, and then finally the leaders deliver their decision because God enabled the apostles the elders and the whole church to reach a unanimous decision note in verse 2 they sent two men to accompany Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch wisely one was a Jewish man named Judas no not that Judas he's off the scene and then another man named Silas who was Greek a Jew and a Gentile And after careful consideration, they put their conclusion in a letter. Listen to verses 23 through 27. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord. They were unanimous to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So the introduction of the letter acknowledged that this false teaching had stirred up, it had unsettled, it had agitated, it had confused these Gentile believers. Now, written around this same time, paul wrote the letter that we have in our bibles known as galatians some very strong words in the book of galatians for those who were leading believers astray and following a different gospel would you listen first to chapter one beginning in verse six i'm astonished paul says that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of christ and you're turning to a different gospel Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And it's as if Paul wants them to really get it, because you note verse 9, he repeats it. As we have said before, he just said it in verse 8. So now I say again, here it is. If anyone is preaching you, to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That word accursed, it's kind of cleaned up a bit. It literally means that person should be damned to hell. If you're teaching a false gospel, Paul says you need to be accursed. Notice next, Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth, and we're not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. God used that text with Martin Luther's conversion. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Man, I could read the whole book of Galatians, but I won't. Let's just look at one more passage, Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ Now, he's not talking about medical circumcision that we follow today. Circumcision as a sign or a seal of the covenant in the Old Testament. Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from Christ grace. Now, we could summarize the entire teaching of Galatians this way. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Acts fifteen twenty eight shows how the Holy Spirit led the leaders to this decision. I love this phrase. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That word for burden means weight or load. Verse 29, the council adopts the recommendations of James that you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood, from what's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. We see in verse 31 how the gospel of grace resulted in great rejoicing. People are like, I don't have to work for this. It's free. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. In verse 32, we read Judas and Silas encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. By the way, this is my rationale for preaching sermons with many words. Verse 33 says they not only proclaimed the gospel, they were also present with the people. Showing again the need for believers to be discipled, verse 35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Teaching provides information, preaching focuses on life transformation. Well, let's land by considering what God may have for each of us as we live out what we've learned together today. Let me make four suggestions And let's see how the Holy Spirit applies His word into our lives today. Number one, if you're in conflict with someone, follow the dissension, discussion, decision process outlined in Acts 15. So, when dissension happens between you and someone else, have a discussion together. Well, that's taught in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18 as well and then make a biblically informed and spirit-led decision. Now, that isn't always possible, but we should always strive for peace, Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Number two, this will be a stretch for some of us. Limit your liberty out of love for another believer. Is there something you can do or start doing Or something you can stop doing to demonstrate love for a fellow follower of Christ? Now, I'm not saying you should compromise your convictions, but some of us could stand to ease up on our preferences for the sake of harmony. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13, but take care that this right of yours, Paul is saying to these Gentile background believers that they have a right to eat meat sacrificed to idols. But he says, make sure that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. He concludes, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. He's referring to the meat sacrificed to idols. Lest... I make my brother stumble. As Americans, we're all into my rights, and we're often very independent. We only think about ourselves. Paul's appealing here. Think about how your actions, your behaviors affect other people. Number three, discern error and defend the gospel of grace at all costs. The word gospel means the announcement of good news. And the message of good news is that salvation is by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, whereby our sins are transferred to Christ and his righteousness is transferred to us. That is good news, my friend. Listen to how the Apostle Paul defines the Gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is, that Christ died for, that means in our place instead of us. He died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jude 3 calls us to defend and contend for the gospel. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you, listen, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Number four, If you're not saved yet, if you've not received the gift of God's grace, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You see, we all have the same problem, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have the same provision, very next verse, verse 24, and are justified, listen, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And we all have the same prescription. Romans 10, 12 and 13, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all, doesn't matter your background, on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, in contrast to the burdensome yoke of the law, Jesus promised a new yoke of love and liberty. Words of Jesus, Matthew 11, come to me. You can't just stay where you are. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor, all who are heavy laden, who are just shuffling through life. Come to me. You're laboring, you're heavy laden. And I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me from gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light friend you don't need a self-checkout salvation because everything has already been paid for you it's time, if you haven't, to repent of your sins and receive the free gift of eternal life purchased for you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and his glorious resurrection. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads whether you're engaging here or you're engaging via live stream or cozy and perhaps today is the day that you will be saved and maybe you're ready to do that. You could pray along with me quietly. God, I realize just hearing your word proclaimed today that well, that I'm conflicted that I know I should be trying harder and doing more and I've tried that route of trying to perform and doing what I think I need to do and what I think you want me to do. And Lord, I fail miserably at that because I I can't and I, I fall way short. On the other side, I know that many times I just live for myself. I don't even care what you say and I'm just living for my own pleasures and my own wants, my own desires. And Lord, I realize that both of those are empty and neither of those will get me into a relationship with you. And I, I need to have my sins forgiven. And I can't work for it. And so I understand now that you've already given everything to me in order to have my sins forgiven you have paid the price you have died in my place on the cross and you're offering forgiveness you're offering by grace and so jesus i repent from how i've been living i believe that you died and now i also receive what you've done on my behalf Come into my life. Save me. I want to. I need to be born again. And thank you that you rose from the dead, showing that you have power over my own depravity, over death itself, and over the devil. I need that that resurrection power in my life. And Lord, I don't want to be half-hearted. I want to be all in for you, for your glory and your purposes. Use me now to, as your disciple, as your follower, to look for others to pour into that I might be able to make, by your grace, more disciples. I offer myself to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I would love to chat with you after the service or connect with you online. Uh, you could contact us, and we'll help you take your next step with Jesus. Well, the decision reached in Acts 15 allowed Gentile evangelism and gospel expansion to explode and eventually circle, encircle the entire globe because edgewood is a gospel preaching church we're also a gospel sending church and i want to invite phil and patty eager up right now as we get to know them better as they make their way up let's just give them a hand there you go hey patty hey phil Uh, Why don't you start, and how did God call you into cross-cultural ministry? Uh,
1: For those of you who might not know me, I grew up in Edgewood. (laughs) My parents are Jean and Carol Taylor. They moved to Arizona back in 2002. I was trying to figure out when that was. So, um, And my older sister, Kim taylor uh, you also s- support as well. So um, growing up in this church and being exposed to missions and missionaries was a big part of my growing up years. My parents were always involved with the missions group, and we'd often have the missionaries over for meals and even staying in our home. And then Pastor Ed would take us on a lot of different trips uh, Chicago to Moody into the Pacific Garden Mission and just lots of opportunities we went to Costa Rica one um, summer as well and just a lot of different opportunities to serve and see see the world and the needs out there and so I feel like just my church family and my parents with their interest in missions really helped put that in my heart um, however I went to Moody to study urban missions thinking I'd stay in the U.S. because it'd be safer <laughs> <laughs> but God had other plans, obviously. But, um, but yeah, I started out as an urban missions major at Moody, and then um, God obviously sent us to another country. But, yes, the, the foundation I received here at Edgewood and the opportunities that I was given to learn and grow and serve are, I believe, why I'm—obviously, God wanted me there, but this church was— Big part of that.
0: (laughs) And fill in the, what before you hand that to him, what happened this summer with another Edgewood member? Yes,
1: we had Emma Janicek come and serve with us for two months, and it was a huge, huge blessing to have her there. And uh, it felt really full circle-ish for me growing up in Edgewood, and it was kind of fun to introduce her to the youth that we work with, and be like, hey, she goes to church where I grew up. And they're all like, really? And so it just was really neat to be able to, you know, share that and also see them see that maybe they could do something like that, like go and serve themselves. So I think it was a really good example. And Pastor Kyle's
0: continuing what Pastor Ed was doing by giving students now multiple opportunities to see the bigness of God's world and how God might be calling them. Thank you for that. Hey, Phil, give us an update on your family. I think three of your four children are with you this weekend. Why don't you
2: introduce us to them? My kids always like to say that my oldest is no longer with us. But he is with us, but he's not here with us physically. He's going to Grand Canyon University studying biological sciences. He's 21. Um, My daughter Abigail is 19. She has a couple more classes to finish before she goes off to college. So we're learning how to let go of our children, which is an interesting experience. Um, We have Micah, who is 17, and Luke, who is 13. Um, They're out in the lobby, so if you have a chance to talk to them, that would be great. They would love it. Super. Thank you. Um, Patty, why don't you explain to us the kind of
0: ministry the Lord has given you now? You've had a couple different... ministry opportunities, but you God's put you now in one that's rather unique.
1: Yeah. We um, serve with transformados, which means transformed. And just like the sermon talked about, just um, the only thing that's going to transform a life is the grace of God and the salvation that people find. The, the government can try different things, the schools to educate. Um, but what we've seen is these students and their families, when they come to that life transforming Uh, relationship with god then we can see their family change the community change and so we use sports we use esl english classes Uh, we have people in our home to play board games and coffee and things like that just so hospitality we just basically use whatever uh, things that we can to build bridges to be able to share jesus with people
0: Cool. And Phil, let me circle back around. I forgot to ask you how God called you into cross-cultural ministry and then tag on that and talk about
2: why it's so important to get the gospel right. Absolutely. I grew up in Indonesia. I was a missionary kid. Um, I grew up in an island right above Australia. And in my growing up years, I was able to see a, a tribe, a Stone Age tribe, without any hope. Um, they, if you got sick, it wasn't because of natural causes. You got sick because someone cast a curse on you. And so then you cast a curse on them. Um, and it was always under the fear of spirits and what the spirits were going to do. And so it was cool to see growing up that God come in and change people's lives and to see them go from a life of fear to a life of hope. And so that was really cool as a child to see. I didn't really think a lot about missions per se, going in the missions. It was just part of what I, I was and what I did. And so I went to college at Moody Bible Institute to study music, a trumpet emphasis, and then um, about halfway through the first semester, my professor said, well, Phil, you can get a tutor or you can change majors. So I took that as a sign from God that maybe I should change majors. I still love music, I still use my trumpet, um, but I just didn't major in it. So I majored in international missions um, because I felt that God had given me the experience of growing up on the mission field and seeing that. And so... The topic of grace is so important. Where we work in Mexico, people live in fear still of not quite making it. They pray for their ancestors. They okay, if I do these good works, then maybe my mom will get into heaven. Um, if I do really, if I treat these people really nice, they'll treat me. They'll they'll pray for me when I pass away, and they'll help me get to heaven, and they'll do these works for me. And so, and there's many other different religions that are that are telling people that it's Jesus plus works. It's Jesus plus this. It's Jesus plus duty. Um, it's Jesus plus sacrifice. And, and it's incredible to be able to work with people and to see the light bulb go on. Um, we even have believers that are new believers that still continue a little bit in that, I still need to do good works because Jesus is going to disown me. And it, when the light bulb goes on, it's incredible because you can see the burden off their shoulders. And, and probably like, the joy too, and right? And the joy. And it's like, ah, they can breathe, like you mentioned in your sermon. And so... It's, it's so important to teach that Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus paid the price, and all we have to do is accept that and by our mouths, by faith, and that's it. There's, there's not anything else that you have to do, so it's so important to have that correct. Amen. Helps, uh, salvation is by
0: grace, and our sanctification is by grace as well. Uh, Patty, you have a lot of stories that you could pick from, but I'm going to ask you to pick one of those and celebrate... We want to celebrate with you what God is doing in some lives there. Yes.
1: Yeah, so um, last time we were here, six years ago, we shared about a couple named Miguel and Norma and how they had come to Christ. In fact, their are pictures on our table if you want to see them. Uh, so when we found out later that the day that Phil ran, in, ran into, it was a God appointment, Miguel uh, walking with some other friends in the neighborhood, that Norma just told him, I'm done. I'm done with you. Get out. I don't want anything more to do with you. Um, and she'd shared with me several months later, with tears in her eyes. She's like, "You guys don't know what Miguel was like. I told him to leave. Um, what you see him now is God transforming his life, and that's what brought her to Christ. Was seeing how God radically transformed Miguel. She's like, he was an angry person, always yelling at the kids and. So it was just it 's been beautiful to walk with them, and they continue to we we meet weekly for Bible study on Friday nights in our home, and now our transformato 's youth come to that Bible study and they're investing in their lives. So it's been neat. There's one a guy in particular, Manuel, who has been meeting weekly on the side also with Phil for Bible study and he's become just a sponge. He accepted Christ and he just, before the next time they meet, he's already read the whole next book that they're studying in scripture. And so it's just, he wants to learn and, and know more. And so he'll often bring these questions that are pretty like, whoa, you know, how, can I lose my salvation? How to, is it okay to pray for things for myself or is that selfish? Things that you like, He's a 17-year-old guy but he's asking these questions and so it's been neat to see Miguel and Norma start answering some of those things and pouring into his life and the other youth that are there and sharing their testimonies and um so Manuel his mom and brother are pretty antagonistic about his faith his mom's nicer about it he says but a lot of times if he's he's like he's like I said a rude thing and my mom was like well you're a Christian now are you supposed to do that and so and his but he's like my brother was ruder about it but It's been neat because Miguel and Norm are like, you're going to make mistakes. We made mistakes. And it's just been neat to see them sharing those things. And we're also, you know, hey, this is an opportunity for you to say, yep, this is why I need Jesus. You know, I'm sorry. You're right. I shouldn't have said that. But I need Jesus. And so it's been neat to see The different, Like at the full circle thing again, but Manuel's mom and uh, brother attended his baptism. We weren't sure if they would come, but we had our first baptism of two students. Emma was there, so that was really neat, the week before she left. Uh, And so Manuel was one of those students, and his mom and brother came, and they got to hear Manuel share his testimony and also the other youth, Octavio. And so it's just been really neat to see God transforming their lives, and we're just trusting that he's going to use the transformation in Manuel's life and the life of his mom and brother to bring them to him too.
0: Amen. Oh, glory to God there. Uh, Phil, uh, help us with some things that we can pray about. We support you guys financially.
2: we also committed to pray for you. So give us some requests. Absolutely. Um, Pray for us as we work with student leaders. Um, We are discipling student leaders and training them on, on the example with Jesus and how Jesus led. And so pray with us as we go through that program with them. We have about 10 students that we're working with specifically to help them, to raise them as good student leaders. Um, We also ask, request, uh, request prayer for... Connecting with families more. We connect, it's pretty easy to connect with teenagers on the basketball court, in the house, drinking coffee, that type of thing. But a lot, a lot of times those teenagers don't want to invite their parents and don't want, ah, you don't want to know my parents, things like that. And so um, pray that we would have opportunities to connect with their parents and their families more. Um, Please pray for property. We actually right now meet in an in a elementary school gym, which is kind of outdoor gym, but we meet in their court. And so we're kind of tied down. We can't share the gospel on the court specifically. And we're also tied into their schedule. So we're looking to buy property to be able to build a gym, to build other offices so that we can have that time and the opportunity to, and the freedom to share the gospel more. And finally, prayer for protection. Um, every time things start going well, as most of you know, that's when Satan starts to ramp up his attacks. And what he likes to do is he likes to attack the family. And so that can cause distraction, that can cause distress. So pray that we will remain faithful, pray for our marriage, pray for our family, um, pray for the ministry itself, and that God will continue to protect us from all the things that the devil wants to do. Okay. Church, let's
0: stand and allow me to lead us in prayer. God, thank you for Phil and Patty and their four children. And Lord, thank you for the joy that we see on their faces as grace impacts uh, individuals and families. Lord, we pray with them, alongside them, and for them now. Lord, we pray for these student leaders. As they are discipled, would you use them to disciple others? Lord, we pray for these parents who are watching their own children be transformed and they don 't understand it, and maybe don 't like it Lord, we pray that you 'd give Phil and Patty uh, bridges to their life and their world that they 'd see parents come to saving faith as well. Lord, thank you for all the ministry opportunities we pray with them for property and the financial provision for that that they 'd be able to find a place or build a place where their ministry can grow and reach more uh, for your glory. And finally, Lord, we thank you that you are the resurrected one. Thank you that you are seated uh, at the right hand of the Father. Thank you that you are in charge. And thank you, Jesus, that because of the resurrection, uh, you have demonstrated your power over the devil. Lord, we pray for Phil and Patty now, for their four beautiful children. Would you protect them? Would you keep them? Would you keep their marriage strong? Lord, may uh, you protect them from the evil one and all evil forces. Lord, thank you for the promise in your word that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, would you use this weekend and the weeks uh, that they're still in the Quad Cities to encourage them in their faith, even as they have encouraged and challenged us. We commit them to you now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.